This is the Tom Baker Show. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Tom Baker Show. We have got a very special guest and one of the things about me is that uh, I've always been partial in motorsports to go-karting because it's a form of racing that is very entry level and yet it is a form of racing that has literally probably tens of thousands or more all over the world competing. And actually outside of the United States, karting is much bigger uh, than it is here in the U.S. But nonetheless, uh, really enjoy the sport, um, the, the, the part of the sport that is go-karting. And we have a gentleman on this episode of the Tom Baker Show who has been a longtime supporter and participant and uh, announcer and, gosh, who knows what else, but we're going to let him tell us. Tony the Toe Cirillo, talk about your background in karting a little bit. All right, thanks, Tom. Uh, you know, I started karting, actually, uh, when I mean, when I was a young boy, uh, I had, a, uh, when I was about 12, 13 years old, I had a Blackhawk cart. But uh, I lived in Brooklyn, New York, and it wasn't much to do for racing there. I didn't get into <laughs> racing go-karts until I was in my 30s. And with that, I got into four-cycle racing because it was I was into cars, and four-cycle engine is something that I understood better than a two-cycle. And eventually, uh, one of the big events that started uh, in four-cycle, once you race locally and you wanted to move up to a national level – it was the World Karting Association who yes. had a series at the time. They called it the Four Cycle Olympics, later to become the Horseman Gold Cup. And then it was many other names after that. Uh, when Horseman sponsorship died out, it became other. But it was always the Gold Cup. And that was the height of four cycle racing. If you can race a Gold Cup race... And whether you win or not, you were gaining so much experience because you were racing with the best four cycle drivers in the country. So that was where I, I started racing. And then that led to me working with uh, becoming a New York state rep for WKA on the four cycle side, eventually becoming a trustee at the uh, World Karting Association, eventually becoming the secretary, eventually becoming the treasurer at one point. So I was very involved with uh, WKA and building the four-cycle program and also helping other programs like the Enduros and the two-cycles when I was a trustee. You know, you have to be sure. look at all, all angles. So that's and, – and oh, so then the announcing part started. I was in Barnesville at one of their big events, and I've never been in a tower before, you know. So I said to the owner, who was Mr. Dick Wilson, uh, and he ran the Gold Cup series. Horseman, uh, Gil Horseman hired him to to keep order and run a good series in, which he did. Uh, I said, can I go up in the tower and, and look out? And he said, yeah, go ahead. So I went up in the tower and watching the carts go around. And at that time, they didn't have an announcer. They had somebody who would call up the classes, but no announcing would happen. So I started looking out there and, and, and Dick Wilson uh, radioed up. They had walkie talkies and said, hey. Tell that guy that's up there to tell the next class to get up. 
stock heavy. So I got on the microphone, stock heavy, come up to the grid. You know, I'm not an announcer. And <laughs> so I'm looking and, and they start racing. And I know the people that are racing and I'm saying, boy, nobody's saying what's going on. So I just started saying, you know, so-and-so's in the lead and this guy's in second. And next thing I know on the walkie-talkie, Dick Wilson says, keep doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and, th and that's how it started. I mean, to this day, I tell people I am not an announcer. There's so many better people out there that are really professional. And, and, and I, I have no training at all as an announcer. But somehow, you know, just calling a race. And, and some people, I know some people like it. And probably some other people say, who is this guy? And he can't even pronounce a name right. <laughs> so <laughs> and that's happened to me plenty of times. But uh, that's how I got into the announcing. And then eventually did all the announcing for the Gold Cup, which was great because I knew all the racers and I followed every race. So I could really give a, at least a background. Maybe I wasn't that you didn't have the greatest announcing voice and all of that, but I could, you know, really tell a story up there and, sure. and uh, keep things going. So that's that's a quick, you know, rundown right now. <laughs> okay. And so you've been around karting for a number of years, and as you say, for most of the time that you've been involved in karting the World Karting Association kind of dominated and was the central focal point, if you will, sort of like the NASCAR for karting. And But it's become now to where there are a number of other series of various types, dirt series, two-cycle series, four-cycle series, that have come on the scene, and, and it's kind of revolved now or evolved to where the wk is a still a sanctioning body and they still have their own series but one of the series that's really come on the scene very strongly in the four cycle realm of karting is the cup carts north america series the ckna i had the chance for the first time to see that series in action uh, here in Charlotte at um, Charlotte Motor Speedway on the short course there for their spring nationals this year was super impressed with the way that they ran the show and with the competition that was there uh, just overall I thought it was a great show and it seems like that's the series now in four cycle sprint pavement karting that's really become the peak series or the go-to series would you agree with that and talk a little bit about how you see that realm of karting having evolved over the years and where you think that it is now yes uh ckna just what you said uh great four cycle series actually premier four cycle series right now in this country that is it the ckna if anybody wants to test their skills as a four-cycle racer to see how good they are or to learn, that's the place to, to pick up a race is with the CKNA. But what happened was WK, of course, was really WK was the first sanctioning organization to accept four cycles. Actually, all, okay. karting, all karting organizations at the time were only two-cycle and uh, would not let a four-cycle kart race. You had to buy a two-cycle motor. And WK saw that need and did it and eventually built up the gold cup series to be one of their biggest series uh but over the years as i guess the economy changed and and people's time limits changed as far as 
you know, trying to trying to work and, and keep money coming in. The four cycle crowd seemed to be, I'm going to say, almost like blue collar workers. They're, yeah. You know, the, not the high echelon, you know, doctors and lawyers that you see a lot of time racing. They they were middle class, you know, uh, people. And, and so budgets were tight. And I think it started dying out the four cycle and the two cycle series, the Manufacturers Cup, which WK ran, seemed to be moving ahead. Uh, Yamaha came out with the can and that brought a lot of people back. And and there was a lot of other stuff being contributed by the two cycle uh, companies and stuff that seemed to be the place you wanted to go. And then, as you mentioned, other series that have built up uh, around not WK, but other series like Supercarts, USA and so on. They were all two cycle at the time. Yeah. So two cycle became the big thing. WK, I guess, realized it didn't pay to keep running the Gold Cup because it was probably not making them money, which I could understand. So that sure. kind of ended, and there was a lapse. There was no place except locally to run a four-cycle engine. And and this 206 program that Briggs & Stratton came out with was kind of the savior. He kind of gave, you know, a, I'm going to say the economical way to race a four-cycle. Uh, Briggs & Stratton came out with the rules. They didn't have a board saying, oh, I want this, I want that. They said, this is the rules. And unless it's written here, don't do it. You know, if it tells you you could do it here, you could do it. But if it doesn't tell you, Just you can't don't. do it. Yeah. You know, so so that was that was a good thing, and it started getting people back into it. Now the cup carts, uh, they were they're mainly a Midwest series, and and they were two people who raced WK, who worked maybe at times for WK, Steve Vermeer, and Greg Jasperson, and they started. They, they started a four-cycle series using the 206 engine, and that was it. And that made it kind of easy for tech because everybody ran a 206. You didn't have different types of engines. You didn't have different classes of engines other than weight and age limits. And uh, I started seeing this or reading about it, I guess, in different places. Uh, again, the lapse of a magazine is a big thing, but we'll talk, talk about that at another time. But I did see it and i saw that they were coming up the furthest east they ever came was to the g and j cartway in ohio okay and i know g and j i know the owner i mean i've, I've announced there i've raced there it, it's a place that i know of wk was uh there's a lot of history about g and j we can go into that some other time but g and j and i said to my son uh my two sons who were racing 206 one of them had to work couldn't go but i said to my other son chris that's chris two tenths i said <laughs> let's let's go to Let's go to G&J. I mean, I know the place. I know the owner. I know, you know, it'd be great. So we went, and Cup Carts was there. And lo and behold, it wasn't a big crowd. I'm not going to say it was a crowd buster, but there was there was like maybe 10 people in his class or eight people. And, and, and some classes had maybe a little more, some a little less. But what, but what happened was some of the Gold Cup people showed up. Top drivers, you know, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, it's uh, just slipped in my mind, but oh, Jim Lapari, of course, from Coyote, he was there racing, sure. And 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 a bunch, a few other, uh, Scott Clayman, uh, other two cycle, I mean, four cycle guys that I knew from way back, and 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 they were competing. And so, on the way home, I said to Chris, I said, you know, I said, this series has potential. I mean, this thing could really build because there's no place for a four cycle racer to go. There's no place, but this is it. And sure enough, uh, as their two cycle grand—I mean, their four cycle grand nationals, uh, CKNA had their four cycle uh, grand nationals. 
it, it, it just kept building year after year. And uh, it got to the point where now, I mean, last year in 2021, they had over 400 entries. Wow. And that is unbelievable, you know. So they've built the great series. They've given the four-cycle racer a place to go. Uh, unfortunately, World Karting Association missed that missed that bus and, and uh, you know, maybe trying to get back into it now. But uh, I got to give Greg and, and Steve, man, they do a great job, as you said, and, and they just run a great series. And then, like, again, if you want to race with the best four cycle drivers in the country, you got to go see KNA, hoping they'll come more east. Charlotte was another step east. And that's why we were there, because that's closest for us to get to uh, besides G&J, in which there is a race at G&J in April. So uh, we'll probably attend that because that's something that we can make in a in a day's drive versus a, a overnight drive. So, uh, you know, like I said, CKNA gave us the four cycle drivers a place to go. Well, it. The thing that struck me about the way that CKNA ran their show was everything was on a clock. And if practice started at 11 and was supposed to end at 1140 and the next event was supposed to start at noon or whatever, that's what happened. I mean, I was amazed that uh, I got there Sunday for the features at, I think, about 11 o'clock because I came from church. And they started, I want to say, around 11.30, maybe 11.45. And by about uh, 3 o'clock, I was out of there. where They were done, and everybody was in. And honestly, they had a couple of you know, longer delays because of accidents that required red flags and such. And um, were it not for that, I would, would have thought maybe we would have been done by two, which is just extraordinary that you're running – races off so quickly and so efficiently it's it's uh they they really have a nice model for how to how to run the show off and it seems like the racers are all excited and to cooperate with that too which uh really is just a a great recipe for uh keeping the customer satisfied if you will yeah i mean absolutely right they do i mean I, I, it's been a while since i was to a race and and that uh to a national type race that a and j for chris and i was the first time i was getting back into it and like you said the way they run it is unbelievable with the times now when i announced back in the day <laughs> i would try to keep the races informed you know sure. say hey you're up in 10 minutes or you're up in five you got a three minute warning you got to be to the grid because i know it's hard when you're working in the pits and you're doing stuff and you want to get your cart ready you know that's all you're thinking about and you need somebody to keep you know reminding you the way go i mean ckna does it you just look at that that chart and you say oh i'm out at 11 10 in the morning right and and you get up there and 11 10 you're going out <laughs> so you know, and, and let's face it, the PA system always doesn't cover the whole pit area. So Not at all. As much as I could announce, sometimes I felt like I was yelling out a window and nobody was hearing me. But it, it was it, it, it. They got that thing, you know, down pat. They got registration down pat. And let me tell you, their tech is top notch. The people they got in that tech have the most experience, out of, I think, of any Carter uh, organization and, and you know there are people from wk from back in the day and and do a lot of techs locally and stuff but they got some of the best tech people and the one thing those tech people say is we're not here to declare you illegal we're showing you that the winner was legal 
And right. that makes a lot of sense yeah. for the Carters that are racing against that person to say, okay, I got beat fair and square. Yeah, that's and that's right. And and I once had a, a, a tech uh, director from the WK, and I, I want to say his name was Nathan Helms. Um, this goes back a, a, a good bit, um, probably 20 years or so. And Nathan said the job of a tech guy should be to call the car right, not to call the car wrong. And what he meant by that was not that you should never call anybody wrong, but that the purpose of tech is to make sure that everybody is good. And if they're not good, then you have to show them where they're not good. But they're they're really, you know, he went into it and I think the uh, the tech directors that were kind of under him at the time went into it with looking for the positive they didn't go in you know to to take everything apart until it was stripped down to nothing and you know and um and and look for something wrong they went in to make sure that everything was okay and if it wasn't then it wasn't and it wasn't because they decided it wasn't it was because you did something wrong or because you know something was wrong so um that's an interesting perspective on on tech and i like that and and it's very pro racer and i think that's the way it should be i think oh i think you've been a racer i've been a racer um you know we all we want to know is that we're all on a level playing field basically right and and that's what i say and i mean and they just do a real good job of uh, tracking it down they have a tight-knit network between them that if somebody finds something uh, they get the word out to the other tech people saying that, okay, here's what we found that, right. you know, I'm not saying people were, were trying to cheat, but they made this change and it shouldn't be done and keep an eye out for it. And, 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 and you might want to warn them before the race starts. I mean, the same way they do a fuel check, you can go get your fuel checked at any time while you, yes. while you're ready to race. And that therefore you should never be disqualified for illegal fuel unless you are cheating with fuel yeah, exactly. because you have all the opportunity to make sure your fuel is good and they don't they don't want to throw anybody out i mean the bottom line is just what you're saying you want everybody on a, a equal playing field exactly and, and that brings back the racers you know because they know they're getting a, a, a fair deal and occasionally like you said they might they might find something sometimes it could be j- just true wear you know the the wear on the motor sure. something something's not going to tech but it, it is illegal at that point and they have to disqualify you. But on a lot of parts that they find sometimes that are bad, they will replace them, uh, give the person a new part. They confiscate the one that's bad. This way it can never be loaned to somebody else. Right. Or give or given to another, you know, person that runs maybe some other tracks or something. And again, they're trying to keep this two oh six program to the point where what happened with other series and especially, you know, with the Gold Cup, uh, we called it box stock. But by the time it came near the end of the, the four cycle uh, Gold Cup series, it was far from box stock. I mean, you had to do a lot to that motor to, to win a race. <laughs> yeah, it checked out kind of stock, but there was a lot that could be done to it prior to and, and you would pass tech. So this, again, keeps the price down, keeps everybody interested gives everybody a chance i mean you've heard of people taking this engine out of the box putting it on putting oil in it running gas through it and winning a race so that that says a lot for uh for that that program and and again we got to thank briggs for coming up with the, the rule book offering it for free to everybody and then for ckna 
really, you know, promoting this whole thing. And and originally the name of the series, I believe, was the Briggs and Stratton 206 series. And uh, <laughs> somewhere down the line, they had to change the name to the Cup Carts of North America. Um, you know, I think it was maybe some kind of legal thing or something. But, you know, they, they run a great series. And, and like you said, the timelines and everything, registration goes so smooth. And they give out a lot of prizes, whether you win or lose. So that's another good thing. Well, you know, and and that can't be underappreciated because uh, one of the the kart races that I work every year is the O'Reilly Auto Parts National Indoor Kart Championship in Batesville. That's an indoor dirt race, the world's largest one. And the, the promoter of that event, Lanier James, has always believed that if not that, that you're only going to have you have 22 classes they're only going to be 22 winners everybody else is not a winner okay so you know he's always been about making sure like his drivers meetings are extraordinary you know it's it, he's famous for the, the 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 prize trailer that they drive out onto the track full of you know bicycles and you know TVs and 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 chassis and tires and whatever else he he uh, scrounges up, um, you know, sometimes thousands of dollars each day worth of prizes, uh, at the driver's meetings that he gives away. And, you know, that, that idea that, look, okay, maybe I didn't have such a great day on the track, but man, I went, you know, went home with a TV and a bicycle, you know, it's, 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 it's something that, um, I think all the racers want to know that they're appreciated, you know, and so I love that about CKNA, and I think the name change, um, I think Cup Carts North America is a cool name, and I think whoever came up with it, whether they intended to or not, I think they did the series a huge favor because just the word Cup, if you think about Cup, and especially, you know, in it to an average race fan, what do you think of? You think of NASCAR Cup Series, right? So it, it has a certain sort of... Um, uh, you know, elevated, uh, bent to it that, um, that makes the series seem like this is a higher level series. And, you know, obviously it also, uh, turns out that it is right. And so, um, talk a little bit about the 206 motor, Tony, because I know, um, that when that motor first came out, I think the goal was that it would be kind of, you know, across the board, um, in karting, it was supposed to be economical. It was, it was, you know, it was kind of an answer to, uh, uh, a perceived problem that karting had at that point. And it's been interesting because on the dirt side, the 206 was very short lived as a popular choice or a popular division. But, you know, here on the, on the sprint cart side, it, that that's it seems to have really kind of done its job and it and it seems to have uh seems to be the motor of choice now um what is it about the 206 motor that um makes it so perfect for this style of racing um and and maybe if you if you could hazard a guess and i don't know how much you're really into the dirt karting side of things but you know, why didn't it um, take off just as much on the dirt side? Because I, I feel like it should have. Okay, yeah. I mean, I was away from karting, you know, for probably 10 to 12 years. So uh, I didn't really follow when the 206 first came out. But I, I what I think happened on the dirt side was, you know, the 206 engine, let's face it, was, I don't know, what it must have cost, 500 maybe at the time. 
you could buy a clone engine for like 99 bucks, you know? Ah. And, and then you could, you know, if you had a guy soup it up or whatever, maybe it, it sure. you know, came out to a little more. Yeah. So I think the dirt people who were still very active in four cycle felt, Hey, this is, this is the way to go, you know? And this is what, you know, we kept saying Carters were looking for. They were looking for that class that was affordable. If they wanted to go fast, then maybe you had a modified class or whatever. But it was was there a class where, you know, everybody can be on an equal playing field? And I think the clone engine, because of the price, was was just taken in. And, and I and I look at the oval, even the pavement and the dirt guys. I think they're all running clones, you know. There, there might be some series that run the 206, yeah. but I think it was the price that kind of, got them out now on the on what happened was with the with the four cycle road course guys they were spending the big money on on the old Briggs flathead and stuff yeah. to run even to run the stock class so when the 206 or at least when we realized it that it's a sealed motor and you know basically just as long as you get the carburetor right and and uh the main thing was to to get your cart right and to drive right <laughs> so that brought us back into the sport uh, because now we felt, hey, we might be able to compete with the top people because, hey, if we know how to set up our cart, the engine's not going to be that big of a factor in this whole thing, even though it was expensive compared to a clone. The other thing about the Briggs 206 is you can, well, I don't want to, I mean, you can get every part that you ever need for it when Briggs doesn't have a, a, a shortage or, uh, right, a, a, sure. uh, you know, delivering parts because of what's going on in the world. But Basically, the clones, you know, started to become a nightmare with all the different clones, and you got to make sure you get the right head gasket and the right springs yeah. and this and that. But the, the clone people keep up with that, and they seem to do well with that, and and I guess keep the price to a certain extent. I do hear that there are clone motors that can run into the thousands of dollars, and that's oh, probably yeah. for these all out guys, you know, right? <laughs> yeah, I feel like maybe what happened was that there was a certain group of engine builders who may not have uh, maybe maybe looked at the two hundred six and went, "Well, gosh, I don't know if there's as much room for me to make a profit as uh, you know as as there was with the clone," because I can assure you that nobody's putting a $99 clone motor in their go-kart and going and racing the national event on the dirt side. Um, I don't believe so. Uh, you know, I think, um, I, I, I think there's, there's just groups of racers and, you know, engine builders, tire, you know, folks, whatever that, you know, obviously everybody's out to make money. Right. So, um, I just feel like the two Oh six settling in, in this type of racing is great for for you guys as racers because everybody's on the same motor it's easy for tech it's easy for the racers everybody knows what they got so like you said it then comes back to the carts and honestly um you know i don't know what a brand new 206 motor costs now but i can't believe it's all that expensive compared to you know what you look at when you start uh you know, buying a clone motor or some other type of engine and then, you know, having uh, other work done to it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where Briggs came in. Briggs wrote the rules. Yeah. And so, therefore, they wrote the rules. There was no, like, voting. Do we want – can you change the cam? Right. And even though it meets the spec. You know, all that happened. They, they changed that. They sealed the motor. And they sealed it pretty well with the type of seals that, you know, might be it might be somebody out there that could duplicate them. But I think we found that they're they're pretty solid and, and that people are not getting around it, at least on the national level, yeah. uh, from what the tech guys tell me. So so I, I think that's what you know, what I, I I tell people who even do run clones on the on the road course that 
you know, you might want to think about the 206 because in the long run, it might seem like a lot of money up front, what you're going to pay for a stock motor. Uh, but in the long run, it, it's there and Briggs is there and, and they, you know, like I said, any part you need or whatever uh, is, is the way to go. And, and so, yeah, that's I, I think that's what brought back the four cycle people. And, and I forgot to mention Ryan Cassidy, who was a Gold Cup champion yes, many times over, that came day. to run the 206. And and I announced a few of those C C K N A races just like I you know told him hey do you mind if I announce the feature or something because I knew some of these drivers and it was so good to see them back out there sure. you know running for a, a national organization they've come back from the Gold Cup so yeah the two hundred six is a solid motor it, it holds up I mean we ran one motor for almost four years and it was still pretty quick and and you know held up so I mean I don't know if you could get that out of a clone wow and, but like, like you said, the engine builders, I think, you know, they feel there's not much they can do to the 206. So yeah. <laughs> a lot of them stayed with the clone because there's a lot they could do. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And of course, you know, the more work they do, the more profit they make, which is you know, obviously yeah. why they're there. Right. That's uh that's good old fashioned uh, uh, capitalist society. Right. So uh, what the did you just say? I want to make sure I understood this correctly, that you ran a 206 for four years without. A rebuild or what, what did or do we need to clarify that a little bit yeah no yeah i mean when i say we you know you can't open it up so there's not much you're going to do in there uh you might clean up the valves and then you know check the carburetor and and uh yeah you, you know you can play with the float setting and stuff like that uh that's bottom line from what chris two tenths tells me he said this wow. is already you know almost four years old and uh that's it and and you know the rules state you're not you're not allowed to blueprint them so these you know you see stickers on motors you know from different engine builders and i think what they claim is they just are checking the motor for you you know they're not really blueprinting it <laughs> right they're just going through the motor telling you how to set the car you know when you're at a track depending on what the conditions are you might want to change the the setting in the carburetor but that's basically it and and uh you know, I'm not sure what they're all charging. I mean, they might get some decent money for uh, a motor that they claim has been checked over and it's been put on their dyno and it, you know, produces maybe a little more horsepower than one right out of the box or whatever. Right. But you see the competition is, is you know, fairly, I mean, when you see them racing, they're, especially on a local level, it, they're, they're right up, right behind each other. You know, there's no, occasionally you'll have somebody who kind of get, gets away if the conditions aren't right and they know how to handle the, those conditions, changing their cart setup and getting things right. But other than that, it, it really gives tight racing and gives the chance for anybody who, who really can just figure out how to set up the cart and, uh, you know, have the driving skills to match it uh, to get up there and, and win at a national event. Yeah. See, I feel like that's how it should be too. Go-karting was never supposed to be, a form of racing that you make a living at go-karting was supposed to be a form of racing that anyone it's very accessible to anyone who is supposed to be cost effective in, in comparison to other types of racing and it was you know supposed to be uh fairly easy for you know father and son to um you know to to put a go-kart together and get a good motor and, and go out and race and i feel like what I saw with the CKNA race a few weeks ago, that's exactly where we're at. I mean, obviously, there's an expense to travel. 
you know, you got lodging and all of those gas, all of those sorts of things. But in terms of the carts themselves, I feel like maybe that form of racing is about as, or form of carting, I should clarify, is about as economical as you can get unless you just want to get kind of the dirt cart and go, you know, play around at your local track. But if you're going to run nationally, I feel like that the four cycle sprint may be the way to go. What is your opinion uh, on on where uh, sprint karting in general is right now in terms of uh, across the nation and, and what maybe are some things that you would like to see done either differently or, you know, things that maybe is aren't happening right now uh, to, to make it even better? Well, I can't speak too much for the two-cycle world, but evidently Scoozer and, and some of those other organizations are doing very well. Yeah, USPKS, program, yeah. And, and it really seems to attract some of the top drivers and, and people who are, you know, trying to move on and, and get up, you know, to run NASCAR or even Formula One. Sure. Uh, I see that happening on, on the two-cycle side. On the four-cycle side, like I said, I think the CKNA offered a place, but Briggs & Stratton, on the local level, you know, and I'm going to call Maryland our local level. Okay. I see it built up in, in Nicholson Speedway in Maryland and Sandy Hook Speedway in Maryland. They have a number of uh, two, I mean, four cycle, you know, 206 drivers uh, out there and they built up that class. And, and you take the last spring national CKNA that you said a couple of weeks ago, Brady Atwood wins the junior class against the best drive junior drivers in the country yeah you know, and he's from maryland okay so it shows you that the, this gives that local chance uh those people who want to run at a local club they want to get a little more experience they want to see how good they are they're doing great at their local stuff to move up i mean here in in long island new york we always had a karting uh place and it got to, you know shut down and and there was no place to race and we finally got a place uh a guy named rick uh rick keller who was a two-cycle, four-cycle driver way back in his day, a champion with IKF and WKA. He got a permit for a parking lot, and, and we raced on a parking lot, and we I promoted the 206 class. And at times, we had 10, 10 senior 206 drivers. They, the two-cycle people who were running two-cycle years ago said, hey, this is easy. I just bolt this thing on. I know what clutch I got to use. I know the exhaust. I mean, there's no messing around. And uh, so, you know, we started building up right on a local level. And I think that's, again, the 206 program. And I know it's big in Canada and it, it just keeps, you know, it's just a place for people, like you said, an economical place. I don't want to say it's cheap, but it's economical and it's controlled. And that gives everybody a shot. Uh, the only thing I'd like to see is, is, you know, the CKA uh, to come east a little more. And yeah. I think we got enough carters now on the East Coast. And I did mention it to Greg. I also mentioned it to WK, but they didn't seem to respond uh, that I thought there would be, there's definitely a void here. And, and it could be a great series that could then build drivers that can go to the Grand National that CKNA puts on in October, uh, that the East Coast could be much more, re Northeast, I want to say. The East Coast is represented, but the Northeast, but there's a void here for a national uh, four cycle race. Uh, but that's what I would like to see. I'll, I'll keep pitching that. And like I said, I talked to Greg a little bit at the, at the spring nationals, uh, and told him, I think there's a void and it might be a decent turnout, you know, but you start small, maybe two or three races for the first year and you see how it goes. Cause that's how CKNA started in the Midwest. 
Yeah, and it makes sense. I think you gotta, you know, I even in big cars, it doesn't matter what kind of of racing you're promoting or situation you've got. You know, you've got to make a commitment. You're not necessarily going to have, you know, 300 carts from all over the country at your first event in a certain place. You know, you got to really commit to the area and building it up and make sure people know that, you know, you're you're not there just testing the waters, you know, and, and I would agree. I, I mean, I feel like, you know, I'm originally from New York, too, and I feel like up there, it's all dirt karting. There's not much of the four cycle variety or even two cycle too much up at least you know in much of new york state um and i feel like this form of racing ought to be more popular and you know and i i would like to see more of it as as you would and i think ckna is is the right organization to uh to lead that and you know to to really kind of crisscross the country a little more and uh you know, and, and, and build up for cycle sprint karting. Yeah. You know, I mean, of course my, you know, uh, I'm an old WK person. I helped uh, build the four cycle program, riding rules sure. with, with some famous drivers like Charlie Sox, Gil Horseman, you know, giving us his input and, and doing all of that. So that's why I had always this thing, you know, like, Hey, maybe WKA, you know, Hey, I know we lost the gold cup series, but this might be a way to start coming back especially in the Northeast, like you're yeah. saying, in, in New York or uh, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania yep. New Jersey. New England. There's a couple of good tracks that I identified that I think could have could hold a pretty decent race uh, for 206 and get more people involved. Two-cycle people come over to the 206 program because, again, they see the competition there. It's not, you know, it, it's something that they have to prove that how good they are. You right. know, what, it doesn't matter what motor they're, they're driving. So, you know, we've seen two cycle people come over in, in the nationals and, uh, you know, do well. Uh, but, you know, like I said, the North and, and WKA, I don't know if it. But when I worked for WKA, they were registered with the FIA overseas. So now you're talking about an organization that if you're building a resume as a young person moving up, that's an, a, a legit organ. Not saying that CKNA isn't. But that's a, a, a registered organization in the racing world. Sure. And, of course, their headquarters right in Charlotte Motor Speedway. So there's a number of advantages to a racer, you know, going with an organization like that, I would think, on a resume type, putting out their resume that somebody could check on. And, you know, I guess you could check on CKNA and these other organizations, but of they're course. like privately owned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I I get that. And, and there is a lot of uh, validity to that but i really think and i'm not discounting wk i'd like to see wk come back as well i think there's plenty of room for two um you know karting when you know back 15 20 years karting was massive i mean karting was so huge and and i feel like dirt karting still is i feel like two cycle karting is to maybe a bit of a lesser degree but still is very prominent but you know four cycle karting in terms of again the 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 sprint type karting um you know i i feel like it it's still got a ways to go to get back to where it was and you know wk back then was a you know a mighty organization i'm not sure wk now is the same mighty organization i'm not saying they can't be um 
but uh, you know, let's let's say that one of them ought to. But I think if if you're if you're a racer and you know, and you're looking at um, looking at F one, I think there's going to be more to the resume than you know than just the karting experience. Um, you know, I think I think CKNA seems like a great place if that's where all the carts are and that's where all the competition is. I think WKA has got to prove itself again and prove that it can you know it can put on the type of shows that we saw at charlotte a few weeks ago and get the carters and you know and and do the things that ckna is doing um in order to to get themselves back to to where they were but yeah somebody needs to um build up the northeast uh, market for sure because you've got new york new england and pa just some of the most staunch um you know racing at the core you know people in the entire country i mean the the new england is new england is still very much as it was you know 30 years ago and you know 40 years ago when i first started um you know going to the races as a kid in the 70s if you go to new england a lot of those tracks are still there and they're still drawing big fields and still drawing big fans and uh you know new york pennsylvania same thing so i feel like you know somebody needs to really take this four cycle sprint thing and uh go to the northeast and and uh and build it up because i think if more people understood the economics of it and understood the opportunity that it provides um and how much fun it is frankly i i have to believe that it wouldn't take long for uh, for that market to build. Yeah. I mean, you, you, again, you're right, right on the money. I try to convince WKA of that, but evidently they decided on, uh, holding a Southern series, which I feel the South is saturated already with series. So, uh, you know, all, all power to them and hope yeah. they do well, but CKNA is definitely the place. And I felt a, a race, you know, if we built the series up in the Northeast, like I said, our comp- our champions would be definitely go to the CKNA Grand National. Sure. So now we're you know you're getting more representation across the United States of the top drivers. I mean, I would coincide with CKNA. I would not change anything the way CKNA does it. I mean, if if you can match that, and that's going to be a pretty high standard for WKA or anybody else to match how they run an event. And like I said, Greg and Steve do a great job. They got all the bases covered. And uh, at this point, you know, like I said, when I say building a resume, I mean, as as a kid coming up, he puts that on his resume. He's going to move up to maybe legend cars or something, you know, sure. get other things on his resume. Well, but, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so but uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know why, but the Northeast is, is wide open. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think it's there for the taking. Like I said, I don't think it would take a lot of effort it isn't like trying to go to california and build you know build a base there where there's just not a whole lot of racing for the size of the area right it's you know new york new england pa um again these these the racing up there is you know people are diehards and so um you show them you show them the economics and you show them what what it looks like and and uh, how much fun it is Uh, Like I said, I don't think it would take too much, but uh, okay, let's talk a little bit about where Tony the Toe comes from, because I I had a laugh when I first saw 
the nickname because the first thing I thought about is when I tell people I'm going to have Tony the Toe on my show, everybody's going to think I'm going to talk about boxing. Yeah, it, you know, it's funny because the name does not come from racing. When I when I was uh, working uh, for a large bank down on Wall Street and I was working, uh, it, was, it was evening shift or something. It was, it was late at night and I was running to the elevator <laughs> and the elevator <laughs> door started closing. I put my foot in the elevator and the guy inside the elevator said, hey, whose toe is that? And I got in. Oh, it's Tony. And he started Tony the to Toe. <laughs> That's how it started. <laughs> and it just it just stayed with me. And when I was racing Gold Cup, I had the Kurtzman family. Uh, they were great racers. And, and the father, Kurtzman, he grabbed my helmet. He was a great painter, pinstriper. And he painted the toe on the back of my helmet. <laughs> and and it, just, it just kept going from there, you know. And then uh, another guy, Magic Mike, painted a helmet up for me. And he did like a skyline of Manhattan with all graffiti, the way it looks, the way Manhattan looked with the subways, all graffitied and everything, and put the toe in there. So it just <laughs> kind of stuck. And, and uh, you know, it was just, you know, like I like to call it when I'm, when I'm announcing, too, I like to hear the people's nicknames and stuff because it brings a little more to it and then sometimes oh, draws a laugh or whatever. But uh, that's, that's, that's how the name got started. <laughs> that's funny. That's not where I thought you were going at all, an elevator. And, and it's it's kind of simplistic compared to what I expected to hear, but uh, it, it's entertaining nonetheless. Uh, now, I'm a, now I, okay, we'll, we'll go to uh, uh, two tenths. Where does that come from? All right. So when, when Chris, uh, you know, he does a little motor work uh, for some people and stuff, and he was okay. working with this uh person tony calandro senior who has tony power he's been building flathead oh for yes many, many okay years. yeah and, yeah and and so chris helped well chris got involved with the 206 and kind of worked in tony's shop mainly doing the 206s tony do the flat top uh the you know yeah the flat tops and uh uh it just chris would say i can give you two more tents if you uh <laughs> use my motor you know so so that's how we started calling him two tents. And now that he lost some weight, they were calling him four tents. But I don't know about <laughs> that. <but laughs> he, uh, yeah, he, he's Chris is it really got into it. Same thing. He got into it late in life the way I did. I mean, he used to come with me to all the races and stuff. All my sons. Okay. Uh, actually, all three of them once uh, will race. Uh, two of them, Chris and Drew, uh, race the go. I mean, the 206 engines. And sometimes my younger son, Ryan, he'll get into a cart. Uh, but uh, Chris is the one that's really been carrying it out and getting very involved. And, of course, being very vocal at times, which sometimes i got to tell him, that, uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> he'll, he'll, he'll carry on at a track and stuff. But uh, he, he's a good driver, and, and the fact that he lost some weight, uh, you know, gets him a chance to get up there and, and compete because even at his, when he was way over the weight, he would still run up there. So, yeah. You know, he, he, and he knows how to set up a card. He knows, uh, you know, where to put that carburetor, the float level and the, the different, you know, what you have to do to that 206. I'm not too familiar with that myself, but he knows what to do with that. And, uh, and he's helping, uh, his stepson, uh, Hudson Brown there. Uh, Hudson was struggling when we first met him and now he's starting to move up the ladder. So yeah, Chris two tenths, uh, he's out there and, and, uh, always has advice for people. He's worked with coyote in uh, helping design that new Zenith chassis and, and so on. So he, he got very involved, more involved than, than I have been lately. <laughs> 
Well, good for him. That's uh, that that's great that uh, he's been able to kind of carry on the tradition, Cirillo tradition, so to speak. Are you still racing at all, Tony, or have you kind of hung up the helmet? No, once in a while I'll do one of the indoor, you know, the electric stuff. Oh, okay. <laughs> but that's it. I mean, when you're at the track and you're trying to help, and especially when if both of them are racing, Drew and Chris, you know, there's so much to do. I, I, I wouldn't want to, you know, try to get my cart ready and try to race with them. I mean, I know they got the Legends class, though, you know, where Chris always tells me, come yeah. on, Dad, run the Legends, run the Legends. And, and maybe one day, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. But right now, I just like helping them in the pits and helping other people and, and uh, stuff like that. So let's talk about G&J, because that is the uh, next race that is on the schedule for CKNA. Tell us a little bit about, because that place has some history. Talk a little bit about uh, that, the, the facility and what we can expect when uh, everybody rolls in there for the next event coming up here very soon. All right, G and J is one of G and J is one of the original uh, tracks that W that is where W K really started. Oh wow! So a quick history, you know, uh, I K F was the uh, the major organization in the United States, the International Karting Federation, and they came east to race their. Uh, it might have been their Grand National. I mean, I wasn't around at the time, but. <laughs> They, they came east, and they were running at G&J. And what happened was uh, the the people, the the East Coast people felt they weren't getting a fair shake. Okay. <laughs> so the IKF officials were, you know, favoring the West Coast drivers who did come from California to race at G&J and so on. So I, I don't know if it happened at the end of the event, which it probably did. About four or five people got together. There's a telephone pole on uh, in the middle of the track. They gathered around there. That's the site we say. And they, George Kugler, one of the one of the people, and Ron Withrow, who recently just passed away, rest in peace, great guy, uh, said, "Hey, we need. You know, what are we going to do? We're going to keep racing with these guys, and they're not giving us a straight deal, and so on." So George recommended, "Why don't we start our own organization?" And that's what they did. They started the World Karting Association. Ron Withrow, a lot of people might not know this, but was the first president. Okay. And then George, George took over after that. And George stayed as president for many years. And I worked under George. And then when George uh, passed away, Randy Cooler, of course, took yes. it over. And I worked with Randy for many years. So that's how WK started. And that's G&J. And actually today... At, at Charlotte Motor Speedway, about a year, uh, a couple of years ago, they had a memorial stone to George Kugler, oh, the wow. World Karting Association, and Randy kind of moved that stone up to G and J Raceway. So a lot of history there. G and J uh, actually extended the track. Uh, I don't know how many years ago, but made it bigger, a little wider. You know, to accommodate the new carts and stuff. And Gary Gregg is the owner, and he's he's a great guy and. He runs a great series. He runs a, a great local series. And, uh, you know, he provides a great place. There's been many nationals held there over the years. And it's great to see, uh, you know, CKNA to go there. And like I said, hopefully I'll be there with Chris Two Tents and Hudson Brown on, uh, I think it's April 24th, 25th, but it's uh, right after Easter, that weekend after Easter. Yes. That will be there. So, yeah, G&J, like I said, it's right on the border of Indiana. So basically, we get a hotel in Indiana. <laughs> That's the closest. Uh, it's the first exit 
when you're coming out of Indiana into Ohio. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's right there, but uh, it's just you know it it is one of the original go kart tracks back in the day, and it was the first track that WK took in, and that you know where WK actually the idea to form a World Karting Association came about. And you just got to give George Kugler credit. I mean, he teamed up with the France family. That's how they got Daytona. I mean, he teamed up. You know, he got this the FIA approval. Uh, I remember we'd have talks with them, with the FIA rep, uh, representative in, in the United States. I mean, and the World Karting Association, even though it wasn't the greatest, we did run the world championships at the Jacksonville racetrack in Jacksonville, Florida. And that was the first time and the only time that the world championship of karting came to the United States. Otherwise, it's always in Europe. Oh, wow. I love that place. I love Jacksonville. <laughs> really love watching racing there. And uh, enjoyed announcing a Man Cup race there a number of years ago, too. Um, just a, a really neat track and, um, you know, a lot of fun to, like I said, to watch racing from. Um, okay, so uh, what is your schedule for the remainder of the year? Are you going you, to run all of the CKA uh, Nationals, or are you just kind of picking and choosing? Where are we going to see Tony the Toe and uh, Chris Two Tents? Uh, going forward well yeah it's up to chris now chris you know has moved to maryland and i'm still in new york so oh, okay. i just follow his lead I'll, I'll drive to his house uh in maryland and then you know we all jump in the car and tow the trailer to whatever track he wants to go to g and j he said he's we're definitely going i spoke to him yesterday so i said all right we got to start you know figuring out what we need and what we got to do sure i don't know if he's going to run uh, any other events he can he'll definitely run the grand nationals unless something comes up uh, and he might run one or two others. I'm not sure yet. Other than that, he'll run, uh, he'll go with Hudson Brown to their local track, which is Sandy Hook or Nicholson in Maryland. And occasionally they run down to GoPro, uh, to race at their series. So he's going to be, uh, two tenths will be at the GoPro series. They were at one of the first ones that ran, uh, okay. this year. Uh, and, and so that's it on a local level. I'll be with Drew Cirillo, the other brother, and we'll we'll tow 15 minutes from the house to the parking lot and race <laughs> at the parking lot. <laughs> Have a little fun. So uh, that'll be my schedule. Uh, matter of fact, I got to go to a meeting this Sunday uh, for the for, for the parking lot race to get ready for this season opener in April. So uh, you know that's that's my schedule right now. I, I'll check with two tents to see you know what other races he he's thinking about going to but we'll definitely be hopefully at g and j you know right now that's the plan well tony uh definitely was great to uh see you and and get to talk with you uh didn't get too much time with uh with chris at charlotte hopefully uh at some point uh be able to spend more time with him but great to uh talk with you and it's been so much fun uh spending nearly an hour with you uh here this afternoon and and uh being able to put this show together and i'm grateful for your time and i know that um there's a lot of people in karting who have been very grateful for all of the time that you put in over the years uh you know announcing and just uh putting smiles on people's faces with a microphone. And that's really, to me, that's the job of a good announcer is to just uh, excite people and promote next week's show, of course, and do all the official things. But, uh, you know, a good announcer, I think, should bring excitement and energy, and you certainly did that. So uh, grateful for your time here and look forward to perhaps catching up again at some point down the road. Yeah, thanks, Tom. It was great, great talking to you. And, yeah, we can – you know, hit some other subjects some other time and talk about things or talk about a, a particular race. 
that'd be great because uh, it's it's always good to talk about karting and keeping the people informed, and that's what I tried to do over all the years. So uh, thanks a lot, and uh, hope to talk to you soon. You've been listening to The Tom Baker Show, a Steering Wheel Nation production, and you can hear all of our shows at steeringwheelnation.com. Thank you all for joining us, and we'll see you on the next Tom Baker Show. You've been listening to The Tom Baker Show.